Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it had been an overwhelming week. From Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem to that rather unusual celebration of the Passover meal, to Jesus' betrayal and arrest, and finally culminating in his crucifixion and burial. All of this was much too much for anyone to try to sort out. But it had become even more complicated just that morning, with the women's strange news of an empty tomb and the angelic message that Jesus was alive. And now two of Jesus' followers were headed down the road to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles distant from Jerusalem, later on that day of his reported resurrection. And so they walked, and so they talked, with a mixture of sadness and grief and no small measure of confusion trying to make some kind of sense out of the seemingly mismatched pieces of the previous days, last several days, puzzle. It is that point in the story, then, at which the most important event takes place. St. Luke writes, Jesus himself came near and went with them. Jesus goes to those whom he loves. And Jesus goes with those whom he loves. It's easy to get caught up in the verses and the rest of the text that follow. It says that their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. Now we know that these disciples were upset by the events of the past few days. And Jesus himself could no doubt see it in their faces and hear it in their voices. And as all-knowing God, he certainly saw it in their hearts. And yet, he kept them from recognizing him. It seems kind of cruel, doesn't it? Even hard-hearted. Of course, there's also the reasoning on the other flip side that perhaps these disciples needed to be kept in that state of ignorance so that they could focus on gaining a better understanding of Jesus as he explained himself to them from the scriptures? Had he simply identified himself quickly to them on the road when they first met, then they probably would have been so overcome with joy and excitement that paying attention to anything that Jesus said after that would have probably been a struggle. But still, we think, Jesus could see that they were hurting. Why couldn't he have done something to relieve their pain sooner. We ask these sort of why and how questions because we see ourselves in stories like this. For most of us have probably found ourselves and many of us probably still regularly do find ourselves in situations where questions like this come up and where we're left with more questions than we have answers. And in really rough times, well, Maybe then we sometimes don't even know what questions are the right ones to ask. Times like that, very little seems to make sense to us. And what little bit we do understand, 
only seems to cause us more hurt and more confusion. And so we empathize with these travelers to Emmaus because we too have journeyed long and have talked for hours with others on our personal roads to Emmaus. And all the while we strive to wrestle some sense of order out of the seeming chaos of our daily lives. We feel bad for these individuals in today's gospel because, well, let's face it, we feel bad for ourselves. We wonder why Jesus didn't relieve their pain and grief sooner because we wonder why he doesn't relieve ours. And as understandable as all of these questions are, they overlook and they really fail to appreciate the central and unmistakable fact that Jesus was there. And missing that key fact, we run the risk of thinking that just because Jesus doesn't act as though we think he should or doesn't say exactly what we want to hear at that time, then somehow his love and his care for us is uncertain. But what such thinking really means is that Jesus is not living up to our misguided and fallen expectations. Thanks be to God that Jesus does things his way and not ours. For Jesus has done the things that the Father wills, not as we will or can do. Jesus does it as the only begotten Son of God who so loved the world that he left the glory of heaven. He became man to enact the plan of salvation, complete with his suffering, his death, his burial, his descent into hell, and now his resurrection. He has done this just as he has done everything out of love for us. But Jesus was with these disciples. He walked beside them on the road. He talked with them. And while he may not have immediately given them exactly what it was that they wanted or what we would have wanted, he still provided them with all that they needed. In this case, he gave them a fuller understanding of the scriptures so that they could begin to comprehend the fullness of the mystery of all these things that had happened. What's more, he prepared them for what was yet to come. And when he knew that the time was right, and only then, he took the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized the Lord. Our reaction to Jesus in this story, and how we perceive him to be acting, or perhaps not acting in our lives, should give us some pause for thought. We say that we trust in God. We say that our hope is in Him, but is it really? Or perhaps our hope is placed on other things, things that sometimes supplant God or are treated with similar importance alongside of God. For example, when you're facing a difficulty in your life, do you maybe have 30% trust in God? And then... Another 25% you trust in the information that you've gathered about the situation. Maybe another 20% on your ability to manage situations like this. Another 15% on the resources you've accumulated. And maybe 10% just on plain dumb luck. Now perhaps the breakdown is different for everyone here today and probably even differs from one situation to the next for each of us. 
The bottom line, though, is that when we do not fully trust God, we leave ourselves open to worry, to fear, to anxiety. But Scripture is clear that the one who trusts fully in God has love and grace and peace. Of course, none of us does this perfectly, do we? But by considering the objects of our trust, it helps us to be aware of those negative emotions and those stresses that come upon us in those situations where there's an indicator that our hope may not be completely upon God, at least not to the level that we think it is. And this gives us a chance to take another look at the situation. We're not just called to trust in God as some sort of authoritarian figure and His demands for unquestioned obedience. Rather, we're invited to trust Him. We're invited to turn to Him and to rest in His grace and His mercy and His love. We're invited to trust that His steadfastness will provide for our every need in every circumstance in accordance with His perfect will and His good and gracious will. And that is why that the most important event in this story takes place in verse 15. Jesus was with them. His presence and His provision for them did not depend upon their recognizing Him. He was with them regardless of that. And in the same way, Jesus is with each and every one of us too. Just as He promised He would be when we were baptized into His body, the church, and into His death and His resurrection. We may not always recognize Jesus' presence, but He is still with us. We may not understand all that is going on in our lives either, but He is still with us. We may not have everything that we want or everything that we think we need, but He is still with us, providing for us, that which we truly need. Just as Jesus revealed Himself to these followers in the breaking of the bread, when He knew they were ready, so too we trust that Christ will reveal Himself and His ways to us in the midst of all of our circumstances when He is ready and when He has prepared us to be ready. Until then, We hold tightly to His promise to never leave us, to never forsake us. We cling to the promise of His steadfast love and His promise to come to us with His very real presence in the bread and the wine of Holy Communion. There we have a solid confirmation, a visible and tangible evidence to our faith that Jesus is with us and that Jesus comes within us. What's more, when we gather here each and every week in our fear and our confusion about life, He speaks to us through the voice of the liturgy and the prayers. It may be my voice or it may be Pastor Knuckles' voice other weeks. It may be the choir or you in the congregation singing His Word to us in song. But it's always Jesus' words that reach you. You hear the pastors or the elders say, the body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And each of those phrases carries an underlying message from Jesus. I am with you always. This Gospel story of these followers' journey to Emmaus and their encounter with the risen Savior 
reminds us of a simple yet profound truth. Jesus does not promise us answers or solutions exactly how and when we want them. Instead, we're offered a much more blessed and a certainly more needful gift. We're given our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Thanks be to God that he does it his way. Thanks be to God that the resurrected Savior comes to us. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.